welcome to the Fast Free Zone Podcast. This is your host, Lewis. This is Freedom from Facts. Why is it important to be discussed? Why is it important to discuss this topic when AI doesn't even exist? Why are we even talking about inventing AI when it doesn't even exist yet? Well, it's simple because AI is coming. With the advent of uh, deep adversarial neural networks invented by DeepMind, a team that works for Google, now we have machines that can that can approximate human intuition. When when we had a machine, when DeepMind had a machine that can beat a human being at the game of Go, Chinese chess. Then it becomes obvious that with incremental steps, incremental increases in this capacity to create intelligent machines will only continue. It will only get better. It will only get sharper with time. And the line of argument here is whether we should stop ourselves from creating artificial intelligence. But first of all, is AI even possible? Can you make an intelligent creature through silicon, through a non-carbon intelligence? You know, there's, 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 there's a line of argument out there that says to be intelligent, to be sentient, or at least as human beings are sentient, you need a body. You need a capacity to move through the world. You need the billions of nerve cells that line our skin to feel the wind in your skin. You need a lot more than just processing, processing power. Because really, if you think about it, intelligence doesn't exist in a vacuum. Human beings are born with bodies, with nervous systems that line from the tip of your toes to the top of your head. Our eyes can capture light directly um, sending that information to our brains. And also, our bodies are not separate from the world. Our bodies in many ways are an extension to the world. Intelligence as it exists in the natural world is a thing that grows. 
the human intelligence it began as a single cell that was fertilized that began to divide grow and adapt to its environment to the point where it's sitting on this chair right now presenting a podcast that was something that grew it grew from something very simple something that's very complex so intelligence as it exists in the natural world has peculiar qualities that we don't know if we can replicate in silicon and we don't know how important it is So our brains are not separate from our bodies. Our brains are an extension of our bodies, just as our bodies are an extension of our brain. It helps to divide them for purposes of studying them, physiologically speaking, but they're not really separate. From your brain to the axons that line your entire bodies, allowing you to move your muscles, The way, the way your nerve cells allow your muscles to move is one system. You can say they're separate for the purposes of studying, but when, when the neuron coming from your brain releases neurotransmitters and allows your muscle to flex a certain way, that is one system. When your eye captures light, transfers them to your neural, to your optic nerve, all the way to your occipital lobe, where visual information is processed, that is one system. When you are, when you haven't eaten, when I haven't eaten, and I'm hungry. At certain levels of certain hormones, whether it's glucagon, insulin, leptin, and they go and signal to certain parts of my limbic system that there's not enough calories in the diet. That is one system. The body is not separate from the brain. It's one system. Now, the body is not separate from the environment either so if the brain is intelligent the body too must be intelligent and if the body is intelligent the environment has to be intelligent too in certain ways so when we're talking about ai and we say that we create a machine that's intelligent what are we really talking about here because the brain that human beings have becomes intelligent in a lot of ways through its environment if whatever I'm speaking right now has any measure of intelligence to it let's hope it's not particularly designed by my brain the language that I'm using right now is a tool that I learned from the environment you know, the energy that, power, that powers the body, that powers the mind, comes from the food, the distribution systems, and all kinds of intelligence systems that exist 
out there. So the question is, can we have silicon replicate this sort of intelligence? Intelligence, the neuronal connections in the mind, they, they grow and they change and they get pruned in the process of learning. They're shaped, they're pruned, they grow. Silicon doesn't do this. It doesn't change. It's the bits of information encoded in them, but it's very, it's very different from the way the brain is able to learn. When you look at what a computer does when it's acquiring new information, it's very different from what a human being or a human brain does. The human brain has a capacity that's very unique. It's very parallel. It processes information massively parallel in nature. But it's all still integrated at the same time. So to put us to give a good example of this is the brain is doing many things at the same time yet it still works it's processing visual information it's processing auditory information it's keeping up with homeostasis conditions of the body making sure body temperature is, 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 is right blood pressure is right blood salinity is right it's doing all of these things at the same time and here's the most interesting part. There's not a single consciousness that's doing it. The brain is also capable of producing singular consciousness, the consciousness we're all mostly aware of, the consciousness that allows us to read, to pay attention to things, to listen to something very closely. But that's not the only thing the brain does. It's, it's doing a lot of other things in the background. It's very, very massively parallel in nature computers don't really have this capacity or at least to the, to the level that the brain does let's go for a break we'll be right back in 30 seconds
the central processing the pro central processing unit of a computer is very linear. It's capable of doing very complex algorithmic calculations, but it's not distributed and parallel the the way in which the brain is. Newer computer architectures, like the graphical processing unit, the GPU, they are more capable of processing information in parallel, but nowhere near as close as what the brain can do. So computers are faster. The, the, the clock rate, which means the amount of calculations a computer can do per second, is faster than say what a neuron can do like billions of times faster but what the brain lacks in speed it makes up for in parallelism now the brain also has other tricks up its sleeve whereas computers use electrons to transfer information back and forth. Electricity, direct current, right? Uh, the brain has many more kinds of transmission uh, units, neurotransmitters. The brain can use serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, GABA, uh, serine, all sorts of molecules and each of these molecules is like a different language neurons can speak to one another with so even though there's a certain number of connections that the brain is capable of those connections can speak in different languages so that that just blows up immensely the capacity for the human brain to formulate different kinds of connections Where, whereas the computer only has electrons it shadows electrons between um, transistors the brain can shadow many different kinds of neurotransmitters and not only that it can transfer these neurotransmitters in different amounts and then modulate a specific message I'll give you an example uh, an, a neuronal system that's supposed to process a certain information it might use 20% of GABA 10% of dopamine 70% of epinephrine and these different amounts of neurotransmitters will modulate a different message than say a different percentages were used so it's very the opposite of digital it's very The word doesn't come to mind right now. It's very analog. Analog is in the brain can use a different amount of a certain neurotransmitter and an atom in different compositions, which will which will formulate a completely different message. But then the argument from the other side is okay sure the brain is unique in those senses it's 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 capable of uh, all this parallelism capable of using different transmitters but 
That doesn't mean a computer can't do the same thing, given scale, making it as big as possible. It can do the exact same thing. Um, for example, airplanes can fly even though they don't flap their wings. I mean, a bird, a hummingbird, is immensely more complex than an airplane. Basically, any animal, or let's take birds for example, are way more complex than any engineering feat we've done so far as, a, as human beings. A hummingbird has billions and billions of cells, each doing millions and millions of chemicals. Each cell has billions and billions of bits of information through its DNA. And all of this complexity is, is extremely fine-tuned so that this bird can float in the middle of the air and drink pollen, pollen uh, nectar from a flower. It's capable of flight. But an airplane can fly too, with despite not having all this complexity, but just understanding the right the right um, ingredients to create an aerodynamic system. So that's the argument on the other side. We can create, we can create uh, intelligent computers by understanding the the equivalence of aerodynamics for intelligence. We can figure out this is what what's required for a system to be intelligence and we don't have to do all these things that the brain does the brain does them and it's very elegant and it's very beautiful but we don't have to do them we don't have to build an airplane that flies like a, like a hummingbird or that flies like a eagle because once we understand what makes things fly we can just stick to those principles and then create a 747 jet airliner that's the point on the other side, the point that says, yes, we can create artificial intelligence. But here's a question though. Do you see how they fly? Do you see how an an airplane, a 747 jet flies compared to how an eagle soars through the sky. What is more beautiful? What is more interesting to watch? A flock of birds flocking through the sky or a jet airliner cruising through the sky? You know, some will say that's a subjective opinion. I mean, some people would rather go to an air show than to go watch and to go bird watching. If intelligence has a certain quality of beauty to it, if the fact that human beings are intelligent, the essence of it is the beauty in which and how it, it 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 processes information, then fundamentally It would be like saying we can't replicate the beautiful 
the beautiful means in which birds can fly with steel and fossil fuel in jet airliners. We can't replicate that because it's a fundamentally different thing. Or if intelligence is simply a mathematical algorithm, then sure we can with computers, but we don't know. But let's return to the point that we're exploring in episode one. If the code exists to animate silicon awareness, to create artificial intelligence, what moral obligation do I have to to let it loose, even though I know it could destroy humanity? The question here, the point is, is, is the point that humanists would make is that humanity is precious. Humanity must continue. Something something unique, something beautiful that we must preserve at all costs. Human beings, humanity. And then there's a point of another group of people who I just made up called radical technologists. And the and the point of the radical technologists is The capacity for human beings the capacity for human beings to take risks as has been what's been at the essence of what human beings are for our entire history. When we know something is dangerous and we still walk right to it, that is the essence of what makes human beings who they are. Human beings are the creature that looked at fire. That phenomenon after lightning that all other animals avoided and decided to walk right up to it and tinker with it. And now the results of those few human beings thousands of years ago who decided to walk up to fire and see what it was and try to tinker with it has been a bigger brain, a much bigger brain capable of extreme levels of complexity. Fire allowed human beings to, to cook their food. It allowed, it, allowed, it allowed human beings to unlock more calories from our food. Because basically what fire does is it predigests your food. It makes, it takes the energy away from your gut to to, to to take to uh, absorb the food or to break down the food and it puts that energy externally so the food is sort of is sort of predigested so once you eat it you don't have to spend as much energy to break it down you can just simply absorb it and one third of that energy goes straight up to your brain because your brain uses one third of all the energy that you eat all the one third of all the calories that you eat So that fateful decision thousands of years ago of those few human beings to walk up to fire and see what it was and take a risk that fateful decision destroyed those human beings back then because after they discovered fire they immediately started changing 
this the people the proto humans the primitive humans who discovered fire and the human beings who live today are not the same because what fire did is it fundamentally changed human beings it made us smarter it allowed us to unlock more food unlock more energy from our food whereas gorillas and chimpanzees take so much more time of their days foraging and looking for enough food to eat human beings were allowed to have so much more time of their day because once you can cook your food you don't have to spend as much time eating as much food because a lot more calories comes from the same food so all that time allowed human beings to do more things whether it was designing better tools hunting bigger animals it changed them those people who discovered fire it changed them it it literally destroyed them because they were never the same ever since but it didn't destroy the essence of the human spirit because the essence of the human spirit wasn't locked in their bodies it was locked in that courage that they have that they had to go and walk up to the fire and tinker with it that's where the essence of human beings was and now i'm asking you is the essence of the human being who've created an artificial intelligent code is their essence to press enter is that the human thing to do or is the human thing to do to preserve ourselves as we are right now by deleting that code my proposition here is ai is just another fire it will destroy what we are right now physically but our spirit will continue living inside of it because the same creative and courageous clever spirit that created ai will continue to live inside of it because nothing that is created is ever completely independent from what created it so somewhere somehow inside that code of that machine that can think will exist us we will still be there in that machine so that's the proposition that's the manifesto we create artificial intelligence even if it will destroy us because that is the human thing to do that is human beings discovering fire it will destroy us it might destroy us but that is worth it because intelligence is a key pillar of what makes human beings human and if we can have it continue inside a machine we continue inside the machine that is the proposition of the radical technologists but then counters the humanists the humanists walk in and say there's an argument that sure those who discovered fire those human beings who discovered fire they didn't know how much that 
discovery would change them completely turning them into a creature that they didn't even know a creature that makes iPhones and builds jet airliners that's an argument that the humanists will concede to a little bit but did it really destroy them? did fire really destroy the creatures who discovered it? see from the point of view of a radical or not radical just a regular humanist they would say no fire just changed human beings like when you go to the gym or you undergo cosmetic cosmetic surgery that might change how you look or if you read a book that changes your entire outlook of life and the way you look at the world That doesn't destroy what you used to be. It simply transitions you into being something different. That is what fire did to humanity. So if you're sitting here saying propose if, if you're saying that AI eliminating human organic life is somehow allowing us to just live on inside of it, that's an absurd argument. That's an absurd argument coming from the radical technologists. Fire transitioned human beings to a new form. AI destroys humans completely. Because a, uh, a humanist will look at the situation and say, What I create is not the same as what I am. Besides, who is to say that who is to say that the creative and courageous and clever spirit that exists in human beings really is at the essence of what being a human being is? What if what is at the essence of being a human being is actually our capacity to suffer? You know, our capacity to maintain our humanity when crisis hits. To help the poor, to feed the hungry. Now, how will creating a big intelligent machine be able to preserve these gems that make us so un unique? A big thinking machine, will it have our capacity to endure suffering yet still help those who suffer more? To be a humanist. You know, to a, to a humanist looking at this question, they would say, right now is a unique time in human history. Human beings are only defined by their achievement as a civilization because of the time we live in right now. We live in a period of human history where technology is the God we all worship. The God we all worship right now is technology. You worship that which you think about the most. And last I check, most people I know are thinking a lot about the next model of smartphone coming out next year. That is what we worship. That is what many of us think 
is is a reason to live on into the future you want to live another 10 years to see what form of technologies are around in 10 years because that's why we've tied our hope to many of us secretly we know that's what we hope for we hope for things to get better technologically because we live in a time that worships technology so then we think creating a machine that can think a technological entity that can think like human beings is the ultimate pillar of this dare I say new religion So for that reason, we imagine our capacity for inventiveness, our capacity to make faster smartphones, faster cars, is what makes us special, is what makes us human. But in reality, this is a civilizational fad. There has been civilizations that valued other things. Some valued their gods, some valued astrology, some valued the natural world like the Native Americans or the pagans of Europe they're no less complex than us they just have different value systems we happen to value complex silicon networks fossil fuels and steel structures some other people valued the natural world and who's to say their values were any more less than ours? I mean, theirs wasn't even destroying the planet. The values that's driving the current global civilization has two existential risks right now. Nuclear bombs and climate change. And those are real and they're right now holding the sword of Damocles over all of our heads. Yet we continue worshipping the gods of technology. Will artificial intelligence believe in God? And if yes or no, why? Not because God is real, but if, coming back to the question we're asking here, if the question here is AI will preserve us, if it destroys us, it will still preserve us because we created it. How will it preserve the human values such as our value to believe in a force that is greater than ourselves?
thank you for joining us again in this episode of The Fat Free Podcast. Have a good one. Till next time. Thank you.